aging. We start doing it from the moment we're born. Society is obsessed with it, and everywhere we look, we're confronted with anti-aging creams, exercise programs, and a plethora of buzzwords like healthy, youthful, and rejuvenate. But what does the science say when it comes to healthy aging? On this episode of A Grey Matter, we speak to pioneering neuroscientist Professor Perry Bartlett about healthy aging and the brain's ability to regenerate. At the University of Queensland, Perry is a foundation professor of molecular neuroscience and was the inaugural director of the Queensland Brain Institute. Perry made the groundbreaking discovery that stem cells exist in the adult brain, meaning that the brain can regenerate by producing new cells. He was awarded the prestigious CSL Flory Medal in 2015 and this year was a finalist in the Queensland Australian of the Year Awards. Perry talks about stem cells in the adult brain, exercise, and how our brains change as we age. It was in the early 1990s, in fact, we probably started working on this in the late 1980s. And it followed on from work we'd been doing, looking at trying to understand how the brain generates so many neurons. Because as you know, in the human brain, there are around uh, 100 billion neurons, so each of which makes 10,000 connections. So the actual amount of complication in terms of circuitry is enormous. And we discovered that in the developing brain, there were these populations of cells that gave rise to many, many neurons, and they were called stem cells, uh, which is not surprising in a developing animal is making so many new nerve cells. But we thought, well, if they're really true stem cells, one of the properties would be that they can self-renew, that is, they keep making more of themselves. And so we decided to test this hypothesis by looking in the adult brain of mice, and to our great surprise, we found there were cells that could make new neurons. Now, at the time, we thought that was damn interesting because everyone had thought that wasn't possible, that adult brain cells... uh, brain cells could be made in the adult. Uh, However, we didn't know what the functional significance of it was. We thought perhaps it was just a remnant of development and, you know, could possibly be interesting in terms of being able to repair uh, damaged brains in the adult. But we had no, uh, no inkling that, in fact, it might be more fundamental than that. Can you tell us about neuroplasticity and the ability of the brain to regenerate itself? Well, neuroplasticity is a word that's used a lot, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. At one level, uh, the most common neuroplasticity is the ability of nerve cells to make new connections, and virtually everything we learn or memorize is due to connections uh, being changed, reinforced, or or, uh, or diminished. Um, So the production of new neurons is is another element of this, the ability of of these new neurons to integrate into the circuitry and change uh, things like learning and memory is something that uh, uh, offers a, a far greater degree of plasticity than we ever thought. So neuroplasticity really is this malleability of the brain to change, and that change usually uh, is the functional mechanism by which learning and memory and behavioural uh, uh, characteristics occur. Are there factors that affect neuroplasticity? 
Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that affect neuroplasticity in terms of connections between neurons, uh, which are called synapses. This uh, this gap between neurons in which chemicals are transferred and information is transferred. So there are enormous numbers of uh, of molecules that are involved in that transmission and and regulating that transmission. Uh, however, we've been focused on trying to understand how new neurons are regulated because what, what we've discovered more recently is that uh, in one part of the brain, the hippocampus, it's called the hippocampus because it looks like a seahorse, um, and uh, this area in the humans is probably the only area where new nerve cells are made throughout life. And, you know, the exciting thing here is that the hippocampus is probably the most important part of the brain that processes information and forms new memories, especially memories about when and where something happened, how you can navigate from A to B, uh, you know, when you met someone, where you left your keys, etc., etc. The sort of memories that tend to decline in uh, some uh, percentage of older people, not all older people. So what happens in the brain or particularly in the hippocampus as we age? Well, I think it's become very interesting and, you know, somewhat, uh, somewhat negative is there, there's a sense around that somehow it's an inevitability that uh, the hippocampus uh, shrinks and, and becomes smaller with, with age. And uh, um, this, this finding uh, is true to some degree, but the interesting thing is because the production of nerve cells uh, can occur in the hippocampus, this appears to be reversible, so that while you can get uh, shrinkage in the hippocampus, uh, there is certainly evidence now that you can change that, uh, reverse that shrinkage and reverse any loss of learning and memory by stimulating both the production of these new nerve cells, but also stimulating uh, greater connectivity within the hippocampus. So the hippocampus has become a bit of a canary in the coal mine, that is, the first thing that really starts to change in older people are these functions associated with the hippocampus and the changes in the size of the hippocampus can be picked up using very uh, high-end technologies like uh, imaging whereby we can, we can image down to almost single cells within the hippocampus. In terms of the behavioural changes or symptoms of that change, are they easily detectable? Well, they, well, in in the early stages, not so much, but certainly, uh, obviously, with you know, one in three people over the age of eighty five have sig- having significant impairment by which they really are functionally impaired. That is, they, they literally don't remember where and uh, where they left something or uh, how to navigate home and things like that. Obviously, it does become uh, very. Uh, uh, very clear and, and there's a lot of controversy around the early stages there's this thing called mild cognitive impairment which um, you know many people get labeled with but whether they really have something that's going to lead to Alzheimer's or not or dementia is still not clear and I think everyone knows that there are periods that you that individuals suffer some uh, mild cognitive impairment due to uh, due to some whether that be medication or some severe stress. So, I, I think we're not very good at, uh, at at picking up these early changes, and 
That's largely because there are not too many good tests for hippocampal function. Uh, and a lot of the, the tests given uh, by clinicians uh, uh, are very broad and not very specific. So, uh, I mean, one of the things we're trying to do is very much look at how hippocampal changes uh, and reversal of hippocampal changes can affect that hippocampal-based memory and learning. Is there a difference between being forgetful, say, forgetting where you've parked or left your keys, and a diagnosable cognitive impairment? Well, I think everyone's forgetful. Um, I think when it becomes when it becomes obvious is this inability to form new memories. That is, a lot of people can remember things from 40, 50 years ago or 10 years ago, but they can't remember... Um, you know what they had for lunch, or uh, some some where they were early in the day. So, when when it becomes obvious that you're not, you, you're starting to become incapable of uh, taking that information around you and putting it into into memory. I think that's when, uh, and that's what the hippocampus does. It takes all this in- visual information, information from hearing, information from emotions, and it's all processed through the hippocampus. So once you start being unable to take that uh, information from your environment and form uh, these memory uh, uh, pieces, then that's when things are going awry. What we do know is that it, cognitive impairment doesn't affect everyone. Do we know why that is, why some people experience cognitive decline but others are totally unaffected? Well, I think, I think this is the good news. And the good news is that even though the incidence of uh, dementia is, uh, is directly related to his age, the age is the greatest predisposing, there's nothing to say it's inevitable. And there are, there are several cases of very old people uh, being tested. Uh, one particular case that's been published is a, a lady who was 113 who had cognitive testing and then she died two years later and they were able to look uh, at the number of nerve cells in her brain and a she had the cognitive uh, abilities of someone around 40 or 50 and b the number of nerve cells in the areas they looked at was not significantly reduced compared to someone at 40 or 50. So this old uh, this old uh, adage that uh, you know it's all downhill because you're getting getting uh, older is is, is not true. So um, in terms of inevitability, it's, it's certainly not inevitable. So what are the factors? Well, in terms of the hippocampus, obviously what we've shown in animals is that, uh, and, and old animals suffer the same decline in their abilities to learn uh, to learn to navigate, which is a very strong hippocampal-based function. And uh, these animals show a decrease in the hippocampus, but the good news, as I said, it's, it's, although it's a canary in the coal mine and it's the first thing to, to start to show changes, both structural and functional, uh, we've shown that it's able to be reversed. And by activating the production of new nerve cells through exercise, we've been able to show that you can reverse this cognitive decline. So, so the hope is, and, and the data supports this, that... Um, There have been a few studies that show exercise to be uh, beneficial both in terms of using imaging, uh, MRI, uh, magnetic resonance imaging, to show increase in the size 
of, um, of the hippocampus with exercise over a 12-month period. And uh, the same thing has happened in animals. We're able to show it. So the $64 billion or trillion dollar question is, um, what are the best forms of exercise and how long do you need to do it in order to obtain this, uh, this reversal or at least uh, the ability to slow down uh, any, any, uh, any loss in the hippocampus? And that's really what we're trying to uh, understand in the study that we've just started uh, just on uh, uh, three months ago. So just to clarify, that's a human clinical trial that you're leading at the moment. That's right. So uh, we, uh, we're fortunate to get funds to uh, test our hypothesis that there might be very discrete levels of exercise that, that uh, cause both changes in the hippocampus that we're measuring by, again, uh, the world's biggest magnet to be able to look at very subtle changes in the hippocampus, along with uh, using a lot of blood chemistry to try and look for changes in the blood that correspond to the right level of exercise and very strictly supervised levels of exercise, three levels of exercise, including one that's quite, uh, is quite uh, high intensity, whereby you're working at about 80 or 90% of, uh, uh, of your maximum level. So um, this is a very comprehensive study, the most comprehensive study has ever been, because I think there's so much anecdotal uh, hearsay out there about how much exercise one should do without any basis, uh, real scientific basis, that if we're going to understand this, we need to do it at a, a very uh, a very focused and, uh, and, and uh, measure all parameters we can in terms of what's changing in humans that, uh, that uh, can undergo this, uh, this regeneration. Your research in animal models has found that it's not necessarily a case of the more exercise, the better. Well, that's right. That's, that's one of the surprises and, and one of the, the driving forces here was that um, uh, in, in, uh, in my, these old mice, uh, we're able to show that there seems to be an optimal amount of exercise that leads to this improvement and if too much exercise in fact had no effect like too little so and we think this is related to obviously to release of uh, factors in the blood uh, which we're starting to understand in the mice but and that's why we're looking for factors in the human to see if there's a peak release uh, associated with certain forms of exercise so, you know, the good news for all those people uh, out there who are like me who don't do enormous amount of exercise is that the optimal level may not be uh, running, um, you know, for an hour each day. It, it might be a lot less. And the other thing might be that uh, in these animals we show that once activated, once we start to stimulate the production of these new nerve cells and change in the hippocampus, that perhaps that might be longer lasting. So you, you might not have to exercise all the time, you might only have to exercise perhaps once every six months or something. I don't know, but, you know. That would be the dream, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think exercise obviously has other beneficial effects in terms of, in terms of heart and uh, things like that. So, um, but uh, I, think, I think the message here also is that uh, although for, for a long time we've thought what's good for your heart and what's good for your brain are the same things, I, I think the more we're learning it, uh, the, you know, it's not necessarily true what's good for your heart is good for your brain. That was Professor Perry Bartlett on healthy ageing. 
If you're interested in participating in the human exercise study at the University of Queensland, please email healthybrains at uq.edu.au or you can visit the Queensland Brain Institute website, qbi.uq.edu.au and click on the Get Involved tab. That's all for this episode. I'm Donna Liu. Our podcast, as always, is produced by Jessica McGaw. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know on Twitter or Facebook, share it with your friends, or you can give us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.